Good evening, it's uh, Graham Dobbin on the Mind Behind Leadership here in New York City on Talk Radio New York. One of the things we've been looking at over the last few weeks is just how leaders perform and how they maybe react in different circumstances. Um, we spoke to Rebecca Maxwell just about what it was like being co-command in the UK, dealing with terrorist incidents, dealing with you know catastrophic, catastrophic uh, failures of infrastructure, and also, of course, pandemics, which she was involved in. Uh, we've also had Patrick on from ADP, one of the largest companies in the US, who's there to really support businesses on how they change and how they maneuver. Um, also mentioned we've got some military leaders coming on in the next few weeks, but one thing I did promise you, and I'm really excited about today, uh, one thing I, sp- uh, I promised was that we would look at not just leadership in business, but also in sport and how that crossed over. And we've got somebody with a bit of a difference today because I'm used to, and I'm sure most people are, used to hearing from sports stars about how they lead. But we've got somebody who's got the business background and also owns a sports team. Let me just give you some background. Duncan Smiley is uh, is coming to us from Glasgow this, morning, uh, the, the, this evening, so we're going to have to be really careful with how quickly we speak so everybody can understand us. Duncan was a, um, was the sales director and managing director of a PLC at 29. He's been in fashion retail. He's been on the main board member of a, a company that employed 400 people over five countries. But this is exciting stuff. He did all that in business. But now he's the owner of Scotland's only professional basketball side. And I believe that's quite popular in New York is basketball. And he's also a board member of Partick Thistle Football Club, which is, to be honest, one of the one of the, the most recognizable brands in football. And when we say football in the UK, we mean proper football, not American football. So we're talking soccer. So there's going to be a bit of a, 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 a we're probably going to have to translate some of the things that are going to be said today. But Duncan, really good to see you. That's great to see you as well. And thank you so much for having me. <laughs> um just to give us a background, we kind of know where you are at the moment. Just to lead up to that, give us a bit of a background. How did you get into in, into business? How did you begin to take kind of your first steps in leadership? Yeah, I probably had a quite an unconventional route in so much as it wasn't down the college route and graduate schemes. I, I came straight out of school at, at 16 and um, basically just, just went, went, went to work. I, I worked in an office for uh, an office products logistics company. And I know you know that company. It was a mega there about 30 years ago. Um, but it wasn't that long ago. But I went there and, and very quickly realised that I, I was going to be somebody that um, quite enjoyed working in a business in a commercial environment. It was predominantly logistics initially, but I, I was drawn to the commercial side. And I, I spent the first 10 years of my career with that company uh, and I moved down south. I emigrated to England, all the, way down, all the way down to Birmingham, and and worked at a group level in group logistics. And, and that's how I found myself. Really, the first ten years of my career, that was really the grounding for me. And various friends that stayed on at school a couple of years, then went on to college, and came out of came out of college at, at maybe twenty three, twenty four, with quite a bit of debt, huge hangovers, and very poor degrees. Um, and, and at that time, I had moved down south. I had sort of seven, eight years experience behind me. And that was really the, 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 the grounding for me, working in supply chain and logistics. But I got a little glimpse um, of technology coming into supply chain. And that, I made a, a very big move and, and sold my soul to the devil into sales of software um, pre-millennium, which wasn't a, a bad thing to do when everybody was panicking over the world ending. In 1999, that's such a long time ago, doesn't it? The world yeah. end in 2000. Yep. And now again in 2020. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it just goes around a big circle. You can't have been working for almost 30 years because that means I've known you for about 25, and I'm much younger than that. Um, you left school. I'm, I'm just going to highlight this. You left school at 16. Yeah. Didn't go to university. Didn't go to college. What was the pros and cons to that? I mean, I think the, the, the cons to it were not having a, a college education possibly precluded me from getting a few roles that, 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 that were hung up on getting somebody with that profile that, that, that had been in college. But with hindsight, they're probably not jobs that I would have wanted anyway, if that was the sort of people that would employ me. So there's not many negatives to it. The positives for me were really being 
getting involved at 16, the experience I had by 21, 22, I was managing departments and people in that time. And like I say, if I'd still been at uni and college, uh, I got a real head start on a lot of people at, at, at my age. And um, I'm not totally hung up on the, the, the university college route. It's not for everybody. My view is if you want to be a doctor, you need a medical degree. If you want to be a lawyer, you need a law degree. But if you want to be in sales and marketing or you want to be in leadership or you want to be in, in, in HR, you don't necessarily need a, a degree route for that. It's for some, it's not for all. But I, I genuinely, more by, more by luck than judgment, when I look back now, it was a, it was a, a big thing, me not going to college. And in, in all honesty, Graham, I, I grew up in a very humble background and it suited my family. That I that I went to that I went out to work and, and started contributing to the to the family pot, but um, yeah, it was it was looking back, it was the right thing to do. Okay, um, is it something you've thought about doing now, a little bit later? Now that now, now, now you're a man of leisure because you've got nothing else on. Uh, <laughs> is it ever, is it something that kind of crossed your mind, saying that's that's a box I need to take? Or funny you should say that. No. Not a chance. I've got. I'm genuinely, and it's it's maybe a weakness. I don't really care, but I've got no interest in, in bettering myself by qualifications. I, if I'm going to do, I'll go and learn a language, or I'll go and do something useful. I'll be 50 years old next year. Going and doing an MBA isn't going to make me. It might look good on dinner parties or, or, or on a on a job title or, or on a business card, but it, it, it's not for me. I'm a hands-on. Uh, practical guy. I'd rather learn doing stuff rather than learning stuff. So what does drive you then? If that doesn't drive you, what does? I think, I mean, full disclosure, I'm, I'm maybe quite shallow because I, I, I like I like success. I like that people would maybe perceive me as being successful. A lot of people say they don't. A lot of people that say that are actually lying. Uh, one of the things that drive me as well is unashamedly fear of failure. I, I don't want to fail at stuff. I've been, I've been, I've been quite lucky and, and the roles I've had, although I'm a firm believer that you make your own luck. Um, but it's important to me what my parents think and what my kids think of me, that, 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 I've, that I've been a good person, done a good job and being successful. But what drives me now is, is doing stuff that I enjoy. I'm quite fortunate now that I don't have to be a CEO of a software company and earn a big salary. I can do stuff that is fun and is rewarding more socially and from a community, uh, from a community aspect, and it's like the corporate social responsibility part of what we do at the Rocks and what happens in a lot of the stuff that I do at Partick Thistle, I really like that because we do some cool stuff. And for the first time in my life, it's not I'm making decisions based on what I want to do rather than what I need to do, and and what I need to do tends to be driven financially. When so the fear of failure, um, how did you deal with that? Because I, I suppose there's a couple of ways of dealing with it. One is to avoid avoid anything that might fail or the other one is just fate first and see what happens yeah and I, I'm more the latter I mean I'm, I'm not somebody that lacks in confidence and I've taken on a couple of jobs that I've taken a deep in and take a breath before beginning and think have I overstretched myself and then the way I've dealt with that is by working as much as I can as hard as I can I was never the smartest guy in the company, but nobody would put in more effort, more hours, and was more applied than I was. I made sure that if I was going to fail, it wouldn't be in the things that I was in control of. And I was in control of how I prepared for meetings, the calls I made, how I presented, how I conducted myself internally and externally. I took care of the things that I was in control of on the basis that as long as I do them okay, the bigger decisions that aren't totally within my control will take care of themselves. But not, not, not being shy, and taking on responsibility, being impatient. Um, I think it's more common now for people that are starting off in their career paths to spend two or three years in a business. If I go back 20, 30 years, that was a real negative. And that was be considered a job hopper, was a yeah. negative. My, my kids are almost 24 and 21. They're not going to stay in jobs for 10 years. They, they, they're probably going to have two or three jobs at a time and jump from, from companies every two or three years. I was like that anyway. I've not had a lot of jobs, but I've had a lot of positions in companies. And I was always looking for the next thing. I was probably a real pain in the ass to manage because I was never happy and always wanted my boss's job. That was just how I was wired up. Some would say ambitious. 
I'm hoping it's not narcissistic, but that, 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 that's who I am. Like my mum would say, there's not a lot of things thin about you, but your patience is one. It's really interesting, actually, because it takes a, a special certain uh, kind of mindset for your bosses at that point to be able to deal with it. Because yeah. I, I mean, I, I remember I, I learned something very young um, with one of my bosses who was a, he was the sales director of a very large company at the age of 32. And I said to him, how do you do it? He said, I surround myself with good people. They're better than me. He said, so that elevates me. I'm never, ever um, frightened or threatened by people around me. Yeah, and I, I resonate with that 100%, Graham. I, I've been very aware of the things that I'm good at and equally very aware of the gaps that I have in my skills. I'm not an accountant, but I can read a P&L, but I need a good CFO next to me on a board. To, to, to make sure that they're, and I'm not a technical person. I need a good technical guy, a good CTO that is absolutely top of their game. And, and then equally in, in marketing, and why wouldn't you surround yourself with the best people possible? And if you can manage them in a way that gets the best out of them, that ultimately rewards you as, as a managing director, as a CEO. I would never understand anybody that has an insecurity of wanting to be the best at everything around a boardroom table. It, it, it's ludicrous to, to expect that somebody is going to be the best leader, the best CFO, CTO, CMO, all of these roles. You, you surround yourself and make those people make you look good. How, how do you build trust in that? I mean, that, that's a really important point. We, we've always got, regardless of the size of the business, you've always got trusted advisors, for want of a better phrase, if you don't have a, a, a formal board. How do you build that trust? Yeah, I think you've got, I mean, I by nature will trust somebody until they give me reasons not to trust them. I, I, that, that, that's how I was brought up. That's how I'm wired up. And I'm the same like that socially with friends, but equally and professionally. You, you, have to, you have to empower people to make decisions and allow them to run free and manage in their own way. And if you, if you recruit a person or you inherit a person and you, you invest in them, and you, but you've got to let them manage themselves, make their own mistakes. I have a view, if you're not making mistakes, you're not trying hard enough. As long as you're not making the same mistakes over and over again, you've got to empower people and you've got to trust people and give them the guidance as of when they need it. Nobody wants to be micromanaged. Nobody likes being micromanaged. It's horrible. And I wouldn't be micromanaged, so why would I expect to micromanage somebody else? You've, you've, you've got to trust people and put your, your, your faith in them. It's, it's a cliche, but... As a board, it is a real team, and you have a board meeting once a month, and everybody goes off and does their own jobs and comes back at the next again month. Everybody checks in with each other. It's an absolute team effort. So um, what I'm hearing is that this is more of a, an, an attitude, more of a, a more of a how you approach it rather than technical, because we can all learn technical things. We can learn. You, if you wanted to know more about accountancy or become a CFO, you could. You really wanted to. Um, it, it's whether it's the desires there, but I, it, it sounds to me that it's about pulling them together. As it's, for, for me, it's a mindset, and, and it's, it's how you manage. Um, and I think that's that is that is exactly it. Some people in, in football, um, you have some guys that are managers, and some people that are coaches. And the manager is the person that gets the best out of people, and the coach is the one that does all the tactics, the formation, the shape, and all the technical stuff. That's not me. I'm very much, I see myself and I've seen myself in the past as a conductor in front of the orchestra. I'm not actually doing anything. I'm just making sure that everybody else is doing everything at the right time and at the right place. And I'll turn around and take the applause at the end of the song. <laughs> You're always the ones, aren't they? The yeah. yeah, so yeah. But I think it's a mindset. Okay. Um, we're about to go to commercial break. When we come back, um, you know, one of the things I really want to dig into is how do you spot talent? Um, but not just in others, yourself as well, because one of the things that you've just mentioned is when we look at sports, some of the best coaches were not necessarily the best players, but yeah. technically they, they kind of understood the game and they got the best out of others. So when we come back, we'll look at that, who's been your influences, and let's start today and we'll, we'll, we'll begin to dig in a little bit, just the, the difference between managing um, something like a professional basketball side like Glasgow Rocks to uh, managing a PLC. This is Graham Dobbin on the Mind Behind Leadership. I'm with Duncan um, Smiley, who is the owner of Glasgow Rocks Professional Basketball Side and also a board member at Partick Thistle. Um, we'll be right back after the break. 
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. Basketball side. I keep on saying professional basketball side uh, in Glasgow because there, there aren't that many professional basketball teams in the UK, are there, Duncan? No, there's, there's only 11 professional men's teams in the UK. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm going to just touch on that now we're talking about that. Um, your league has been prematurely finished. Where were you? I'll tell you exactly where we were, Graham. After 21 years of Glasgow Rocks, we'd never won the championship. And with five games remaining, we were top of the championship, two wins clear, and COVID came along and stole the championship from us. So on a scale to one to nuclear, I'm about an 11 in terms of how I feel about the season being ended early. Um, we're going to come to that in a little while because I'm sure that's brought up a whole lot of leadership issues and things that need, need to be decided on and also how you keep people engaged. You know, we've got we've got professional athletes in there. When when you're in when you're in business, it's really it's, it's almost easy. Everybody's got an opinion in sport about how you spot talent. They're going to be really good, or they would be useful for our side. Lots of people have got opinion, and and if they've never heard of a player, they'll quickly go and go on YouTube and make up that decision within thirty seconds. How do you do it in business? How do you spot talent in business? How do you build good teams? It's. I actually find, I was asked recently that one of what I found the most difficult thing to do in business, and, and my answer actually was recruit. And I think that it, it, it's a huge thing that, guess what, your, your people are important. Who knew, right? It, it, it's, it's crazy. And I, I said earlier I was aware of my strengths and my weaknesses in business. I don't actually think I was a great recruiter. Um, I recruited some great people, but I don't think that was because I was a great recruiter. And I, I rightly or wrong, rightly or wrongly, I make up my mind about people within about two minutes of meeting them. And I'm the same socially as, as I am professionally. And if, if somebody turns up and I don't warm to them instantly, I find it tough in a, in a recruitment situation. And I, I think that it's... <sighs> Do you want somebody that's like you? Do you want somebody that's, that's not like you? It depends on the role that you're recruiting for. But much, much of my life, the decisions I've made, I go on my gut feel. And my, my, your gut feel is very seldom wrong. 99 times out of 100, your gut feel. And I always think I've made a lot of bad decisions. But when I think back to when I made the decision, as long as I don't know that I went against my gut feel, I don't beat myself up over it. I've made the right decision at the right time, but if I've made a decision on recruiting someone or 
whatever in life. And I knew that my gut feel was saying otherwise. You've got to go with your gut. But I think, and I actually did a, I did a, an interview this morning for a role at The Rocks, and I, and I did it in this way um, on, a, on an online call, which is frustrating. I'd rather do it face-to-face. And, and I say to the person I answer, you, look, I am going to be brutally honest with you about all of the bad things about this role. I'm not going to try and sell you a job, because if I sell you a job, you will inevitably be disappointed. Equally, if you oversell yourself for a job, then I'm going to be disappointed. So I think you have to be very, very open and very, very honest. Well, that's not exactly revolutionary thinking. But I think you've got to go with your gut feel on the person and make it clear to the person that if it's a new role, exactly what's expected of them, if they're inheriting a role, but give them the feeling that they're going to A, be valued, but B, have really free reign to, to turn the role into something else. Um, that, 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 that maybe is more exciting and makes it more successful for them. But it, it's a people business when it, when it comes to recruiting, Graham, and it, and it is tough. It is really, really tough recruiting. I think it's the toughest thing out there. Can, can you think of a time when you've not gone with that gut instinct? Yeah. It's gone spectacularly. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have, certainly in business, and I don't, I don't have anything to do with the recruitment in, 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 in basketball, thankfully, because that, that would not look good. But <laughs> I, I, I've... I can think of three or four occasions where I've hired somebody where my gut feel was not to because I've been desperate to put somebody in a chair. I'd rather have hired nobody rather than yeah. the best of a bad bunch. Equally, I've not hired somebody and gone with somebody else that on paper looked a better fit and everything. And I'd almost made my mind up when I looked at the resume, I'd almost made my mind up, this is the person for the job. Somebody else turned my head in the, in the interview. But I thought, no, th- this person's right. But having met another person who was less qualified, had more affinity with that person, I went with the wrong person. Now, fortunately, she came back and worked for me um, in a, in a, at a later stage. But yeah, I mean, it, everybody, anybody that's recruited people has made mistakes, and anybody that says they haven't is blatantly lying. It's interesting. I, I worked with a big law firm in Manchester. And one of the guys said, this is the time of year that we get we get all the applications because the university degree results were out. And I, you know, automatically at that point, I said to him, so I take it you look for the ones who have got distinctions, 2.1s, the, the ones who have got um, honours degrees. And he went, no, no. So what's more important, he said, we can teach everything. That, that's, they've now got a degree from university, but they need to come and work in the firm. They need to be able to stand on their feet. They need to be able to tell a story. They need to be able to go to networking events. They need to be able to do all these different things that they've never been prepared for at university. So no matter how much a CV or a resume we, we, we put down the detail, you never you never really got to know the person. And they, they would take a much lower, this is a big law firm, and they would take a much lower qualification on someone who had the right attitude and approach rather than, rather than all the academic boxes ticked. Yeah, and, and, and at that young age, coming out, coming out of university, you're a million miles away from being the finished article. And, and I like that. Somebody that you can shape and influence and have a, and have a, um, and be a, a leader and a mentor for them in their career rather than somebody that sees himself as a finished article and, and coming out of university with a, with a first in law. It, it, it's good, it's impressive, and it's cool. But I would be more interested in the person. You've got a law degree. That's effectively your qualification. That, that, that you put it, put it in a drawer and forget about it. That, that's, if you want to be a plumber, you need to have that qualification. If you want to be a doctor, you need that qualification. You've got to put it in a drawer. This is, it's a bit like driving. You get your driving license, then you learn to drive. That, 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 that's how I see it when you're recruiting people. When was the last time you drove like that? <laughs> oh, I know. We don't do it now. We don't do it. Um, I, did I catch a little glint in the eye when you mentioned the word mental? Is that yeah. something you enjoy? Okay, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I've been, I've been fortunate. I, I've had a couple of, couple of people that have been really influential in me personally that um, not that I actually worked for or um, necessarily with, just people that I met through my journey that, and I, unfortunately I had the chance to tell, one of them passed away last year, but I had the chance to tell him that he'd be my mentor for 20 years, but he had no idea that he, that, that he was my mentor oh, for wow. 20 years. But, and despite, and when I spelt it out to him that he was my go-to guy because Especially when you're, if, if you're the CEO of a company, it can be quite a lonely position because you've got nowhere to go other than down 
And it maybe can be seen as a sign of weakness if you're going down the line asking for some advice and guidance. But no, I, I've had a couple of guys, and one in particular um, who passed away last year, and he really was my go-to guy. He's a good 25 years older than me. Um, and I, I'd like to think that there's a couple of people out there that I've worked with over the years that recruited very young, out of, out of college or off college age, that are now very successful in what they do. I, I would never call myself their mentor, but I have that sort of relationship with them. And I, I get so much satisfaction out of seeing people that I worked with 20 years ago that are now working for big, big companies. I'm talking about IBM, Salesforce, that are earning a fortune, way more than me. Um, and I, I do feel a certain amount of parental pride in seeing these people. And I've been involved in shaping them in some way. I do remind them in a sort of Tony Soprano sort of way that I'm looking for an envelope every month. But never <laughs> and it never comes. No, it never comes. We need to go to stage two then, I think. That, that's, we need, we need to... The, you know what? I, I know we've spoken about this before. I'm, I'm not a great reader. There's one book that I think generally every leader should read and every leader should read. And it's not about leadership. It's called Five People You Meet in Heaven. And it's just about the, the influence that you have on people that you maybe don't realize. It's just, it's a, it's a great story. Mitch Albom is a, a, an old sports um, a journalist, uh, an old, old sport. He's, he's that, that's his main profession. I've um, written three or four books, but it's one of those that where I, I thought about leadership and I read the book, I think I ate it in, in two days. But when I read it, it was really interesting how it just brought me to the context that how you touch different people at, at different stages. And it's and and you don't even realise it. You don't know. Yeah, no, it's it, it's like I say, those two guys I would consider mentors were both surprised that that's how I considered them, and, and it's quite nice to know that. And that maybe says a lot about them. Very, very humble, um, but very successful people. But yeah, it, it's it's part of the journey. It's how you work. Everybody is sort of paying it forward in some way, that, that, that you, it's, it's how you bring up your kids, you, you bring them up properly, you, you, you set them free, when they're launched, they'll go on and do their own things. The same about people that come and work for you, and hopefully they've taken away, as I have, and I'm sure you have, but we, we all, the skills that we have are a culmination of all of the good things we've taken from people that we've worked with, or, or that we've seen, so I'm going to have that, whether it's a style of presenting or negotiation, what, what makes us um, successful is taking all of the good things we've seen in people, ignoring the bad things, and, and trying to shape our own little brands, and, and then them passing that on and paying it forward. I think that's that, that's um, it's a bit of karma there, I think. Well, what's the biggest frustration there? We've talked a lot about these are the good things, this is what we do when when, when we've got the opportunity, it's all right. What what frustrations jump to mind in, in, in what you've done? What, what frustrates me, again, it's mostly people. I, I, I'm quite a straightforward guy. I tend to say what I'm going to do, then I go and do it. And I find it's like, duh, of course, that's how people, that's how everybody works. It turns out they're not. So people that have worked for you that, that will say, yeah, I'm going to do that, then not do it. Or even in, in a commercial situation where, and I've mostly been on the selling side of the table rather than the buying side of the table, I, I found it really frustrating that because people by nature want to tell you what you want to hear. So I get frustrated when people say, do you know what, I don't like your product. It's too expensive. It's the wrong fit. Rather than keeping you on the hook and making you go through a 6, 12, 18-month sales cycle when there's no intention of buying from you, it's cost you a hell of a lot of time and opportunity lost as well. So the biggest frustration is people not doing what they say they're going to do and people not believe... Not, not, it's not even an integrity thing, Graham. It's more having having the balls, sorry, to stand up and say, you know what, we don't want to buy a product, thanks for your offer, move along. And I've got more frustrated uh, with that than, than anything else. And just people generally not doing what they say they're going to do. I find that, And I find that personally as well. I, I can't be doing with people like that. I don't have people in my life like that. It's exhausting. Um, it, 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 it's, a, it's a really good point. One of the things that, that I go through with any sales teams that I'm, I, I'm, I'm working with is accept the no. Actually, push for the no. Never take the maybe. If you take the maybe, we're in a no man's land, and it's just a polite no. So get rid of that. You know, we spoke about the fear of failure earlier. Get rid of the fear of failure. If it's a no, we can move on. Just do it in the right way, because you never know when we're going to interact with that person again. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I, and I, most of my sales background is in technology, software and hardware. And you tend to be, it's not like selling a car where you, you a sales process of about 15 minutes. I think these are like 18, 24-month yeah. processes that are very expensive sales cycles. And in some ways, you'd rather be last than second because it, it costs you a lot to be second in yes. a two-year sales. Now, if you're going to be last, you're never going to be first. But it's very expensive sales to lose after two years of the resource that you've thrown at an opportunity. But you're, you're, you're right. And I think salespeople by nature, and I've done this myself as a salesperson, it's really difficult to qualify out of a deal. An opportunity comes your way, and guess what? If you're 150% target, it's really easy to qualify out of an opportunity. But an opportunity comes along and you're maybe not where you want to be. Yep. You're inclined to convince yourself, far less your client, that you're the right solution provider here. And sometimes you have to say, this is not for me. Um, and I think there's there's a little bit of moral honesty that's required there. Yeah. And, and again, probably resilience and probably we need to be giving salespeople that that opportunity to do. We're just about to go to a break. Um, after the break, we are going to get into the sports and what's the difference with that. I'm also, I'll give you some time to think about it. What are the absolute traits, the three or four absolute traits that a great leader must have? Um, you're with Graham Dobbin on the mind behind leadership. We're speaking with Duncan Smiley today, who is the, uh, who's the owner of Glasgow Rocks Professional Basketball side. Um, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you run or are ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. We're talking the mind behind leadership with Duncan Smiley today. Did I see you dancing to my theme tune, Duncan? Did I see you moving there? I did. I can throw a few shapes, let me tell you. <laughs> um, okay, you run sales teams. You built, you built, you built sales teams. You say that that's kind of where you're, where you're bent towards as, as a leader, but you've also run boards of highly qualified people, and now you're the owner of a sports team. How does that happen? How do you go from sales to sports? Well, let's cut to the chase here. Like the only reason I'm in sports is because I'm successful in business. And I, I, I was in a fortunate position a few years ago to, and it's a lovely position to be in. I'm very lucky that I said, I'm only going to do stuff that I really, really enjoy now. And what I enjoy, I love sport. I, I love football or soccer, as they might say um, in the US, is my first love. But both my kids play rugby. I play golf myself, love American sports, big basketball fan, 
big NFL fan. Not so keen on the hockey and the, and the baseball. Who's your basketball side? Uh, it's funnily enough, by by sheer coincidence, the Boston Celtics is my. Um, <laughs> I've got no idea why it might be the Boston Celtics. Um, you might edit that out somewhere. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Who knew? What's the chances? What's the chances of that? So, no, I, I was quite fortunate. Yeah, I mean, that, that through the success that I'd had in my, what I now refer to as my previous life, um, I was in a position only to do stuff that I found fun, and the things that I enjoy are mostly sport related. Um, I didn't want to get a job in football because I I could lose a lot of money in football because I think I know a lot about football. I don't actually, I'm not technically, I don't have an understanding of basketball, so that's good. It's not my job. There's people that do that better than me, thankfully. But no, it was it was through doing some um, community work in, in, in Glasgow that I I found out. I didn't even know that Glasgow had a professional basketball team. I, I spent 20 years living. Um, down in England, hadn't spent a lot of time in Glasgow for anything other than business and, and football and seeing family. Didn't even know they had a pro basketball team. And through some community work I was involved in, met some of the guys that, that were in it. And for those of you that are that are, that are old enough, I did the full Victor Kayam. Liked it so much about the company. And I, I, along, they, were, they were looking for me. I remember that. A change of ownership. And I, I just got, it, it's very much... I mean, given how big basketball is in the rest of the world, but especially in, in, in the States, it's a relatively small sport at a professional level in the UK. Um, but it will probably surprise most people to know that basketball is the second highest participation sport in the UK in young men under 23. That, that really surprised me. Wow. Uh, it's really? very much an upswing, the sport. Yeah, after, after football, it's the highest participation sport in young men under 23, which, and by some way, actually, um, and it is a sport that is becoming more and more popular um, in the UK. But there is there is a semi-pro element to it. I mean, we'd be playing in front of a few thousand people um, as a crowd. It's a UK league with 11 teams. Uh, we're Scotland's only team, so it's Scotland v England every week, which we like. Um, and say, we're, we're, we're reasonably good at it. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's how I got involved in sport. Um, what's been the difference with running a... Uh, a traditional business and running a sports business. Yeah, I think the, the single biggest difference for me is that in my, in my in my previous life, I I felt I had a certain element of control over what happened. I was reasonably much in control of the results, whether that be the quarterly results, the annual results, the share price. I felt I had quite a bit of influence over the outcome of the business performance. What I've quickly learned in sport is that I've got no control over it. My, my, my role and my function is to bring together enough cash through, through sales and sponsorship that allows our coach and our on-court team to go and put a program together and recruit players that makes us successful. I have no control out of that. So the biggest event in my, in my, my life is a game of basketball, and I sit there having no control over it, not being able to get on the court, thankfully, um, and influence the outcome of a game. So not having much, con having less control over it, I find terrifying. Um, I, I was just going to link this back to what you said earlier about fear of failure. How do you deal with that then? When you, I won't, I won't like you. M my other half is a mental health professional. <laughs> 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 and, I, and this is this is true. About two years ago, she leant over to me five minutes into the playoff game and said to me, Dunk, I think we should leave here now because you're about to have a meltdown. This game's on TV and you're ready to explode. We left the game five minutes early. I was like an immature teenager watching his team lose. And I, I, I quickly had to get myself to a position where I accepted that I cannot influence. I tend to not worry about stuff that I can't control or have influence over. So I do have influence over putting together the um, the basketball program to allow us to be competitive on the court. But I need to understand that I step away from it and I can't have an influence. So it, 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 it's difficult. I've got better at it, but I must admit I still don't like it. But it's in the same way as you don't like the fear of a roller coaster. You still go back one another time, right? Yes. Yeah. It's interesting. My, my guess is that a lot of people got an insight into what happened behind 
behind the scenes and in a basketball team with the the last dance. And one of the things, I mean, I, I watched that. I was on the edge of my seat. I knew nothing about it. And I might sound strange to a lot of American listeners, but I, I knew nothing about. It. I didn't know what what those what game six was going to be like. I didn't know who won. I didn't know anything about it. But then watching what happened on the court with what was happening in the background and the decisions that had been made and were stuck by was fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I think Last Dance has been, certainly in the UK, it's probably been that and that crazy Tiger King programme, but Last Dance has been <laughs> the, the most watched show on Netflix in the UK. And given the fact I said basketball is not a huge sport, the number of people that have said to me that they watched it, not because of basketball, or not even because, it's just it's compelling viewing. And it's one of my frustrations is there's so much momentum in the UK on the back of that show People are desperate to go watch basketball here. And, and the only way to watch basketball professionally in Scotland is to come to the Rocks. There's no games and there won't be for a while. So it is very frustrating. But yeah, the, the psychology and the the leadership, because everybody knows, even in the UK even, knows who Michael Jordan is. And, yeah. and I had no appreciation for how influential he was outside of his own sport. I really got it. But his driven style, which let's face it, sometimes was outrageous. Some of the things he did and said in order to be successful was crazy. And I've never seen a more focused sports person than Michael Jordan. And I think my my, my favourite quote, my favourite line from that whole show is when somebody said, there's no I in team, and he said, no, but there's one smack bang in the middle of the win. And he was win at all costs. Um, but no, it was a compelling show, but I'm really frustrated we can't and jump on the coattails of it because there is a lot of momentum here for basketball in the UK. Um, one, one of the things I do want to dig into after the, when, when we come back after the break is just kind of the, the egos that we deal with. From the outside looking in, you feel that maybe in a business sense we've got more control, people have contracts, etc. But when you've got people with natural talent, is there, is there a, a drive towards the egos there? But before we, before we, we, we go to the break, one of the things that you mentioned earlier was CSR. And you also mentioned it here about just you know getting involved in the community. What does that mean to you? Massive, absolutely huge for me. There's a whole reason I got involved in, in the rocks. So corporate social responsibility is a big thing for most companies now. I'm assuming it's if it doesn't have the same name, I'm assuming people know what it is um, in the US. But the things that we do in our community, we play in the East End of Glasgow. It's very much the poor end of town. The East End. There's a huge amount of poverty in Glasgow, and unacceptable. But some of the worst poverty in Europe, in Glasgow. And that doesn't sit comfortably with me living in this city. This is my city that I love so much and we were uncomfortable. So when I see the influence we have in the community, we, we, we hit up about 100 primary schools a year, so that junior school, kids up to the age of 11, and we send our players and our coaches around there. And we, I mean, you send like a six foot 11 black guy from Chicago, Illinois, with tattoos and real edgy stories. Kids absolutely love it. And we send some of our Scottish players as well, but they want to see Big cry from Memphis, Tennessee, and they want to see these guys. It's a massive influence on them, and we give them access for the maybe parents that couldn't afford to come along to a game, giving tickets for the family to come along to a basketball game, and getting the guys on court and really feeling part of the game, the experience. It's it's genuinely the thing that makes me the most happy. It's right up there with winning on the court. When I see it's chaos at a rocks game at halftime with kids everywhere, they're playing on the court mascots there. It's just giving our community something to focus on and also showing them we've got some high-profile Scottish players that have been um, Team GB that have competed in the Olympics. Our captain, Kieran Machar, had over 100 caps. He played basketball in the States and he's a guy from Stirling in Scotland that kids, they can see that it's aspirational that everybody in Scotland wants to be a footballer. That's what they want to do. But not everybody's good at football or likes it. But here's another avenue that can take me, that I can maybe make a career, if not a career, then have some fun. But the community aspect of what we do at the Rocks is massive. And it's the same actually right through our league. But in particular in Glasgow, we go we go all out to get our community involved, whether they can afford it or not. Nice. We're going to come back after break. We're going to talk about egos in the boardroom and on and, and, and the sports side. Um, this is Graham Dobbin from the Mindhang Leadership. We're talking to Duncan Spiley, the owner of Glasgow Rocks and um, basketball side in Scotland. And we'll be right back after this. Talking Alternative Radio, 24 hours a day. 
I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio, big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media, my guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. a conscious co-creator are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness i'm sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant and on my show the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity we will touch upon all these topics and more listen live at our new time on thursdays at 12 noon eastern time that's the conscious consultant hour awakening humanity thursdays 12 noon on talkradio.nyc Talking the mind behind leadership with uh, Duncan Smiley. Um, just just before we go into the next part, one of my co-presenters, Jeff Goodman, I met uh, two three years ago now, and he hosts uh, Discover New York City. And the first thing he said to me when he heard my accent was, "Glasgow's the New York of Scotland." He didn't even introduce himself. That was just the first thing he said to me. He said, "Or oh, is New York the Glasgow of the U.S.?" And when we had when we had the discussion about that, he was talking about attitude, and I could just we could see that when we were talking about the corporate social responsibility. What do we do in the community? He just talked to me about it's just that attitude. What we'd say in Scotland is gallus. We yeah. kind of we walk with a chin out. Just to explain what that means. That's basically walk with the chest and the chin out and be really proud of where you're from. Yeah, but I've spent a lot of time in New York. I, I, I love New York, and, and and let's be clear, New York. Is the Glasgow of America? <laughs> but they're very similar cities, and, and we're, we're similar people, and we're very straight talking, straight to the point. Don't take any flannel, um, and quite aggressive, but in, in, in a good way. And again, very aware of looking after our own and having a. They say in Glasgow, we're a, a city of well-balanced individuals with a chip on both shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> but we do look after our own, um, and there's a lot of similarities. With um, with New York, I just but we always say in Glasgow, West Coast, Best Coast. So you can't say that in New York, that's for sure. No, absolutely, absolutely. So I think I think living in Glasgow, living in Manchester, got me ready to live here without yeah. a doubt. Um, egos. Let's talk about egos. Uh, I, I'm very familiar with egos in a boardroom, in a sales team, everything like that. How is it different with owning a, a sports team? I, I actually one of the things that I really really like about sport is that the people that work in sport, players, coaches, as well as administrators that work in it, they actually have quite a robust mindset. The, the, the is, sport is the ultimate, whatever sport it is, is the ultimate results-driven industry. We all say we're in a results-based business, but sport literally is. And they actually get it, and you find they're quite robust. When somebody tells them not good enough at something, they take it on board. I've found in my previous life, Everybody's got excuses for everything. And it's like the dog ate it sort of excuse as to why things haven't happened. Whereas in basketball, they get it, and, and or in sport, they get it. It's the same in football. It's that, yeah, I'm not good enough because I didn't do my job properly. And I, I find the good thing about it is that we get that side of things. The negative, every sportsman rates themselves. Everybody's got themselves up here as a 10 out of 10, even when they're not. Everybody backs themselves, which is confidence, bravado, but nobody's saying, yeah, I'm actually not that very good. Everybody has themselves a 10 out of 10 every week, um, and that's quite tough to manage. But when you explain it, why they're not, they get it, and, and they, they, take it, they take it on the chin, and they'll go away and try and improve. So that there's far less egos um, from a, an accountability, but there's massive oh. egos. 
You would, and genuinely from the outside, then you would expect them to be bigger egos. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the bigger egos in terms of want to be the man um, on the court, but it, 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 it's it's more that's more an internal thing to be the best guy in practice, to be the bit to be the MVP. But the, the egos aren't that. Certainly at our level, like I say, it, it's not. You're dealing at a different level when you're when you're dealing NBA and you're, and you're dealing with guys that are earning tens of millions of pounds or dollars. Um, we're not at that level. And genuinely, the people that I'm involved in in basketball and in football, they're actually really, really good people. And I'm not just saying that they are, but they're, they're good people that are quite happy to be earning a living out of playing sport. I mean, it's the only thing I can think of better than working in sport would be playing in sport. Yeah. I think that ship sailed, to be fair. Um, you know, I've never wrote myself out. You never say never. <laughs> but no, the, 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 the egos are much easier to deal with at the level of sport that I'm involved in. I'm not sure how I could cope with the levels of egos that's involved um, for an NFL or an NBA player. That, that, that's another level. That's probably above my pay grade of management. So who do you need to influence or um, uh, you know, motivate or whatever to do things? Is, is, it, is it a different tack then from business to... To, to working with this? Do the coach and the, the players just get on with it? Yeah, they do. I mean, my, my like I say, my, my job is to have nothing to do with the basketball decisions. I've, I've got the best coach in the league, by a mile, the best coach in the league, and a couple of guys who support him. He's 100% in charge of recruitment. I, I will give him the budget. That I'm he's, do, he's picking the team. He's doing the tactics. So I'm empowering him. Go and do your job. And it, it filters down to the players to do the job. Guys back office, it's, it's a very easy organisation to manage. And one of the things I enjoyed in my previous life was putting on events, whether that be a conference, whether, 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 whatever that may be. We get to put on about 25 events a, a year, a season, 25 home games. And the, the, the good thing about um, sport is that when you win, and we win more than we lose, which is good, the, the momentum and the mood in the office that week is fantastic. It is like up here all week till the next game, reset the counter, five days, 11 hours, 35 minutes, 14 seconds till the next game. When you lose, it's horrible. But the good thing about when you lose, you get to go, you get to go again very, very quickly. You're not waiting for another quarter um, in business terms, another quarter. You're not waiting for another year, another month. You get to go again very, very quickly to rectify that. So they... Their ability to reset very quickly after a defeat or a setback, I find very, very impressive in sports people. So what about when, you know, I, I, I suppose your influence is mainly coming in when you're setting budgets, you're saying what, you know, what you've got, the parameters that you've got to play with. So you're trusting that with other people, which you've said that you did in the boardroom. You're trusting that with other people. Are there any kind of discussions about what the budgets are, whether it be for the whole team or individuals? Yeah, well, the one thing you learn quickly in sport is you hold stuff back. Because if you give if you give anybody their budget on day one, by day two, it's committed and they're coming for more. It's in sports people. More, more, more. Whether it be cash, whether it be physio, strength and conditioning, better travel, better hotels, better flight. They want more, more, more all the time. It's in their DNA. So you've got to be pretty cute when it comes to um, spreading out the money. You, you you got to hold some back because they're never they're, they're always got their hands in your pockets. That's for sure. There's another program that's been on Netflix as well, that which will not be as well known here, but it got me actually stressed out called Sunderland Till I Die. And I don't know if you saw the second series of that, watching just, you know, somebody coming from business with the best of intent, trying to control budgets. And it was just, it was like pushing water uphill. I've never seen anyone. No, it's terrifying. And that's... That's why I didn't get involved in football. I think I know everything about football. And that's a team that were competing with a budget five times the size of everybody else in the league and almost got relegated. Um, no, that, that that was a car crash TV show. That I mean, I enjoyed it. But I, in the same way, you're almost watching it through your fingers thinking, I can't believe. But it's yeah. having the dental floss of your life played out live on Netflix. It's it terrifying. I, I mean, it was probably... We probably... There's a chance that we watched it in a slightly different way because I was just I just couldn't believe the business decisions that were having to be made. Whereas most people would look at it, a fan in the performance of what was happening, but yeah. just the pressure that, that was going on. Um, I mentioned earlier we've only got a few minutes left, so I mentioned earlier about 
the traits that you see that somebody really needs as a leader, as an influencer? You know, leadership comes in all different forms. You don't need to be the head of anything to be a leader. What do you think is really important for somebody to, to have that influence on those around you? The first thing that is the first thing, and if you only do this, you can be a leader. You have to communicate exactly what you want. You need to be crystal clear on exactly what you're asking somebody to do. And you've got to get confirmation from them that they've understood what you've asked them to do. But the number of people that don't communicate by telling what they want, I find staggering. You've got to be clear on what you're asking people to do. You've got to protect your people up and down the line. You've absolutely got to. You never throw them under the bus um, unless you really, really have to. You always protect your people. And in fact, you've got to let people make mistakes. Give them the freedom to be creative and go out there and apply their trade and their craft and allow them to make mistakes. But you've got to communicate exactly what you want. So communication and making sure that you, you've got everybody's back. Duncan Smiley. Thank you so much. The one thing I want to take away from, I've taken away a lot from today, but one that you said earlier, not making mistakes, you're not working hard enough. Get out there. And I, I, I know a lot of the companies I say, if you're going to fail, fail, fail early, do it quickly and come back from it. It's been an absolute genuine pleasure talking I've to you. I've enjoyed Thank that. You Thanks for having me. And uh, we could talk on. We might get you back on if you, if, if you behave yourself. Good to I'm, speak. No chance of that, but I'll definitely come back on. <laughs> Thanks, it's uh, Graham Dobbin from the Line Mindbang Leadership. We've been speaking with Duncan Smiley tonight. Thank you for listening. See you next week. ready to open your own business? Hi, I'm Jeremiah Fox. I've been operating and opening small business for the last 25 years, and I'm the host of the new show, The Entrepreneurial Web. Tune in every Friday at noon Eastern time for insights and stories on the nuances of running small business right here on Fridays at noon, talkradio.nyc. I'm the aptly named host of Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Big nonprofit ideas for the other 95%. Fundraising, board relations, social media. My guests and I cover everything that small and mid-sized shops struggle with. If you have big dreams and a small budget, you have a home at Tony Martinetti Nonprofit Radio. Fridays, 1 to 2 Eastern at TalkingAlternative.com. Hey, all you crazy listeners, looking to boost your business? Why not advertise on Talking Alternative with very reasonable rates? Interested? Simply email at info at talkingalternative.com. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Listening to the Talking Alternative Network at www.talkingalternative.com. Now, broadcasting 24 hours a day. Talking Alternative. Do you love or are you intrigued about New York City and its neighborhoods? I'm Jeff Goodman, host of Rediscovering New York, a weekly show that showcases New York's history and its extraordinary neighborhoods. Every Tuesday live at 7 p.m., we focus on a particular neighborhood and explore its history, its vibe, its feel, and its energy. Tune in live every Tuesday at 7 p.m. on talkradio.nyc.
You're listening to the Talking Alternative Network. <laughs> 